Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Um, today, we're going to look at the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 11th chapter, the 1st through the 45th verse. And this is uh, the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. We've been following the Gospel of St. John, and we, we know that in this Gospel, it's, it's constructed, first of all, of a prologue of an introduction in which we find out who Jesus really is. He is the Word of God. He is with God. He is God. And through him, everything came to be made, and without him, nothing is. He is therefore the person of the Trinity through whom creation comes into being and therefore is kind of the source of everything that is. And then John goes on to tell us that he becomes flesh and that he dwells among us. And so in so doing, John then identifies Jesus in the prologue as the Word of God, as God, and uh, as the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Um, John then moves on into the story of Jesus' public life, and he does this by breaking down the significant events in Jesus' public life into seven separate dramatic signs, and they are called the Book of the Seven Signs in the Gospel of John, and they begin with the wedding feast at Cana, and then they progress um, along the way, and Um, The last time we saw him healing of the man born blind, and today we're going to see the seventh, which was the sixth sign. Today we're going to see the seventh, and the seventh is the rising of Lazarus from the dead. Obviously, um, there is more involved in this gospel than simply the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Simply, I mean, that's obviously a a dramatic event, but... um, but also there's all sorts of other proclamation, all sorts of other information, all sorts of other insight into the person of Jesus coming to us from this particular gospel. And uh, so the gospel then begins um, after the book, actually after the book of the signs, then comes the story of the passion, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord, and then the post-resurrection uh, appearances to that uh, to that that Jesus um, blesses his disciples with in order to help them now to understand maybe more fully what has actually transpired and to prepare them for the spirit which will illuminate them and help them to understand and see even more deeply the mystery of who Jesus has been in their life. So, Beginning now in the book of the seven signs, in the book of the seventh sign, there was a man named Lazarus who lived in the village of Bethany with his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and he was ill. Um, we certainly have met Mary and Martha before. We've, we've met them in the Luke's gospel. We've met Mary as being the one who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and so forth. So we know that there's a very close bond between Jesus and this family. And so that he's, he's very used to their company. Um, the presumption, of course, is, is that when he was in Jerusalem, this was where he stayed. It, the village of Bethany is only about two miles away from Jerusalem, and it's over the other side of the Mount of Olives. 
And so the sisters then, um, that knowing that Lazarus was, was very ill, and knowing Jesus' ability to heal and to cure, um, the sisters sent this message to Jesus, Lord, the man you love is ill. On receiving the message, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, but in God's glory. And through it, the Son of God will be glorified. So Jesus is saying, you know, that this sickness that they're concerned about, obviously a very serious sickness, that they are afraid he's going to die. And Jesus says, in the final analysis, he is not going to die. And he's not going to die because the glory of God will be manifest and, and he will live. And in a way, of course, this is a charismatic statement for all Christians that even though we are sick unto death, even though we pass from this life, we pass therefore into another life, into a life through the power of the Son of God and through the glory of the Son of God. So, but then it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days before saying to the disciples, let us go to Judea. And the disciples said, Rabbi, it is not long since the Jews wanted to stone you. Are you going back again? And then Jesus replies, are there not 12 hours in the day? A man can walk in the daytime without stumbling because he has the light of this world to see by. But if he walks at night, he stumbles. Um, and because there is no light to guide him. So <clears throat> Jesus is now referring, of course, to his own death. And he is referring then to the hours of light or the hours of his public life, the hours when he is with his disciples. And being with his disciples, he has the ability then to perform the works of, of uh, the living Jesus, the one who is among us. But it's interesting, too, because Jesus, even though he loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus, when he hears that Lazarus is very ill, being aware he could probably heal Lazarus, he instead, instead of rushing to the sickbed, he waits two more days because he knows what he's going to do. And he has to be sure it's like the man born blind. In the story, he had to have been born blind, Otherwise, it could have been seen as a temporary condition that healed itself or as a traumatic condition, which once the trauma was assuaged, then he was, he was able to, to see. But the gospel wants us to be sure to know, no, he was blind. He was physically, physically blind. And it was a condition that he held from birth. Now, Jesus wants to make sure that when he does arrive, Lazarus is dead. And some of the rabbis used to speculate that when a person died, their soul hovered over their body for three days, and then on the fourth day, it departed, and the man was then officially, legally, and certainly dead. Jesus wanted to make sure that there was no mistaking what he was going to do. It wasn't that Lazarus had fallen into a coma. And you know, this is something that's kind of horrifying to think about. But it's something that certainly was not uncommon in the past and is not, has, was not uncommon up to fairly more recent times. There were times when people go, could go into a coma and that coma could simulate death. 
and there would be there would be a suspension of physical activities during the coma or a cataleptic as in in the book Silas Marner a cataleptic event that would take place in their lives which gave all of the uh, all of the indications that someone was dead and so there was the terrible the unfortunate thing of burying people alive um, hopefully for their sake they never came out of their coma before it was over but there are certainly cases where there were in fact is there was a there was a custom in England when they when they buried people that they would put a bell outside their grave and a string into their casket around their hand so that if in fact they did wake up they could pull and ring the bell and they could come know they were alive and dig them back up again anyways Jesus wanted to make sure that uh, that nothing like this was, that there was no such interpretation possible in the death of Lazarus. So he waited for two days. He waited for the proverbial three days to be over um, to where, according to the rabbinic um, understanding, the soul actually had departed from the body and that, uh, and, and that Lazarus was then actually in the eyes of everyone that he was actually then dead. Um, so, what then we find is that Jesus then, it says, that he starts to go back to Judea. Um, and the disciples argue with him. They said, you know, you just escaped with your life and you're going to walk back into the middle of it. And that's when Jesus said, makes the inference that his life will end soon anyway. And uh, because he has the light of this world to see by, if he walks at night, he stumbles because there is no light to guide him. There is coming this time of transition, this time of lying in the tomb, um, this time of when he is not going to be available. In other words, to respond to the needs of his friends. So Jesus said that, and then he added, he said, our friend Lazarus is resting. I'm going to wake him. Um, then the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, if he is able to rest, he is sure to get better. The phrase Jesus used referred to the death of Lazarus, but they thought that by rest he meant sleep. So Jesus put it plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there because now you will believe. But let us go. And then Thomas, known as the twin, said to the other disciples, let us go also and die with him. The, the loyalty of the disciples is tested by his decision to return to Jerusalem, to return to Judea, where they, they have attempted to take his life before, and they know that they are plotting um, in, in, in order to uh, do away with him if he shows up again. But he also then says, when he says that he's resting, and they presume it means he's asleep, and uh, so they said, well, if he's asleep, then he'll certainly get better if he's able to rest, because certainly sleep is curative and sleep is therapeutic. And so they say, well, this is certainly what's going to happen. And Jesus says, no, you've misunderstood me. I've used the euphemism from death, which is sleeping, um, but, um, but no, he's really dead. And you're going to see something that you're not going to believe, or you are going to believe but it's going to be dramatic and amazing for you. His determination was well known to the disciples, and so they agreed to go with him and put their own lives in danger with his own. This idea then of the apostolic willingness 
to um, to accompany Jesus into the great dangers that awaited him in Jerusalem is certainly a sign of their goodwill. When this actually turns uh, turns bad for them, they're not quite so willing to be with him. But that's the study, the story of human weakness and the story of of human bewilderment by the ways and the mysteries of God. So, on arriving, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days already. Something he presumed, something he knew would happen, something he wanted to wait for at least four days in order for what he's doing to have the proper impact and the proper teaching power within the lives of those who have observed. And so Jesus then, when he arrives, Martha heard that Jesus had come, so she went to meet him, and Mary remained sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatever you ask of God, he will grant you. Your brother, said Jesus to her, will rise again. And Martha said, I know he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is to come into this world. A dramatic now encounter between someone who is beginning to believe but does not understand the fullness or the depth of what it means, for the Lord is still standing there in front of her, that it is not, and it is not an act simply of faith in that which is not seen, but in faith in that which is seen. And in this faith, Martha, Martha first of all, she says to Jesus, you know, if you would have only come, if you'd have only come when we called you, my brother would not have died. And so there's, there's a bewilderment in her voice. It's like, you know, when we ask the Lord something in prayer and, uh, and we don't get an immediate response, there's, a, there's an element of disappointment, an element of frustration. And we find that here in Martha when she encounters Jesus. But Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Now, for, for the Pharisaic Jews, and it appears that Jesus was one of the Pharisaic Jews, um, there was a resurrection of the dead on the, on the last day. And Martha, therefore, is aware of this. And so she says, well, I, yeah, I, I know he's going to rise again. Um, but that doesn't, that in no way, shape, or form um, comforts us in our present loss. And then Jesus says, but wait a minute, what you don't understand about the resurrection from the dead is that I am the resurrection and I am the life. In other words, to be united with Jesus is to experience the resurrection. To be united with Jesus is to know the depth and the fullness of life. We know, for instance, that this is the reflection of some of the saints on the reception of the Eucharist, that this is, in, in, in a way, a prefiguration of heaven, because it is here that we are united with the Lord. It is here that he is within us, body and blood, soul and divinity, and he therefore is united to us and we to him.
Jesus is talking about this, this union and this Eucharistic union which prefigures the eternal union with God, the eternal life, eternal salvation. And, uh, and so he's saying, you know, believe this, believe that because of me, that in, in your friendship with me, you will rise and anyone who believes him, even though he dies, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And yet we know that just like Lazarus, we will die. And we know this is exactly what's going through the mind of Martha. I know that we'll die. I know that we'll die. My brother is dead. I know that he'll rise again. And then Jesus said, he will rise again because of me and in me and his friendship with me. And she said, fine, I believe whatever you say, Lord, because I've come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in a low voice, the Master is here and wants to see you. And so obviously now there's a crowd of mourners around, and this is how the Jewish wake service went. They couldn't keep the body for the viewing of the body because many of the relatives would come from a distance. And sometimes the period of mourning would go on for several days because it took sometimes several days for all of the family or all of the friends to arrive at where they are supposed to be. So Mary is very quiet about it. They all know the precarious position that Jesus is in. And so would they go and she quietly says, and, uh, and so Mary got up and went with her right away. And it said when the Jews who were in the house, sympathizing with Mary, saw her get up quickly and go out, they followed her, thinking she was going to the tomb to weep. They had no idea that Jesus had come and they thought simply this was part of the family mourning process. But Mary went to Jesus and she saw, and as soon as she saw him, she threw himself at her feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. At the sight of her tears and those of the Jews who followed her, Jesus was said in great distress and with a sigh that came straight from his heart, where have you put him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept and the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But there were some who remarked, he opened the eyes of the blind man, could he not have prevented this man's death? And still sighing, Jesus reached the tomb. It was a cave with a stone to close the opening, and Jesus said, take the stone away. And Martha said to him, Lord, by now he will smell. This is the fourth day. And Jesus replied, have I not told you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. So we now have this, Mary once again repeating Martha's um, Martha's kind of disappointment with the Lord. Lord, if, if only you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And now here there's an interesting thing because here it says Jesus sighs, Jesus is in great distress, Jesus weeps. The implication in throughout the gospel, which has kind of been purged in some of the medieval translations of it, is that there is an element of anger in that. And, you know, we say, well, why was he angry? He, he was angry because this sadness, this grief, this brokenheartedness of his friends was part of the consequences of human sinfulness. And he, as the one through whom all things came to be, was able to look at the destructive element of sin against the goodness of what he had created and against the intentions that he had had in the very beginning of the creation. 
And so there is an anger at the power of darkness, and there is an anger at the consequences of sin. And there is not an anger at the persons who are subjected to this, but an anger at the very fact that such evil exists in the world. And so then Jesus says, bring him out, bring him out. And, uh, and, they, and Martha says, Lord, it's going to stink. He's decaying. He's been in this grave for four days. And, of course, they did not embalm. And, and, and so Jesus replied, he said, haven't I told you that if you only believe in me, you'll see the glory of God? And so they did as he said. And uh, then Jesus prayed and turned to the Father and said, Father, I thank you for hearing my prayer. I knew indeed that you, are always, you, you always hear me, but I speak for the sake of all those who stand around me so that they may believe it was you who sent me. And so Jesus now, in conversation with the Father, is able to say, I'm praying to you out loud instead of in the depths of our hearts because I want these people to know that we are in communication with one another. And it is through that communication between myself and you that the creation is reborn and that life goes on and that salvation takes place. It's really kind of interesting in the theology as we go on in the theology of the liturgy of the church. The whole thing has, has become kind of confused and, uh, and while we say, yes, it is a meal, it is, you know, the enactment of the Last Supper, but it's not just fellowship. It is a way in which humanity communicates through the Word to the Father for the sustaining of the created order. St. Bonaventure says that the voice of humanity gives, the, gives a mute creation a voice. And the coming of the Word in the flesh, incarnation, joins the Word of God to the voice of humanity. And so humanity joins with the Son in communicating with the Father, which is the source of light and of light, of goodness and of truth. So his public prayer is not because God needs to hear his word, not because the Father needs to hear his words. The communication of the word with the Father is part of their very existence. It is, in fact, that Jesus draws the created order, this fallen sinful order, into his own words, his own prayer. And so, by doing this prayer, he unites the destiny of Lazarus with the Word who is speaking with the Father, who together with the Spirit are the source and the origin of Lazarus's life, of Mary and Mar Martha's life, of your life and of my life. And so the liturgy, which far transcends the idea of a meal, the liturgy then is the joining of creation to the Word in communication with the Father in order that the sustaining of life continues. Without the Eucharist, the world gradually, gradually falls into chaos and darkness. We can see with the apostasy of the present age, we can see when they say, when the New York Times can say, well, 60% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence, that means 60% of the Catholics don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. 
They don't believe that he is the word who communicates with the Father. They don't believe that that communication is what sustains life on earth, hope and light and possibility and future and goodness. So all of this is not just something locked for us into the first century. This is a continuing lesson and a continuing insight into the wonder and the marvels of the person of God and the person of Jesus. And so when, in fact, he had spoken with the Father and this life bond between creation and divinity, it becomes manifest, he says then in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his feet and hands bound with the bands of the stuff of stuff and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go free. Death is a prison if the bonds of death are not broken by the word. And so the man is not rotted, but the man is alive and well. And he is bound then by the shackles of death, which are the wrappings in which he was wrapped. And Jesus said, now that there is life, unbind him. This is the story of our own salvation. And this is a story of what becomes of us in eternal life. The bonds of sin are broken. We are whole, we are free, we are alive. And Jesus himself said, and this ultimately then is your freedom. Then many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. That because the, the created order responds to the word of God in communication with the Father and comes out with life, with strength, unbound by the fetters of sin, unbound by the, by the cloths of darkness, the veils of darkness over our eyes, over our soul, because of all of that, then we too can come to believe. But what we do once again in this story of Lazarus, we see the whole drama of our redemption, the whole drama of what goes on before us in, this, in our life. We see, for instance, the sadness when we do not know the full power of God. We see the, the despair when we become victims to the power of darkness and sinfulness. We see the hope that springs in the coming of the Lord Jesus. We are in some ways unsure of his power and unsure of his mission until it is manifest to us as it was to Mary and to Martha. And then we see the word unite the created order with the Father. And in so in that union then we see life and light and hope come into being, the bonds of darkness broken, and the wholeness of life, the goodness and the wonder of creation restored. And we can come to know and to understand in this drama that not only is this the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, but it's the story of the ongoing relationship between Jesus Christ and ourselves. And in this ongoing relationship, we can come to see how liturgically, in the real presence of Jesus, in communion and conversation with the Father, life comes into creation, life and light and hope. Let us renew our faith in the divine presence 
and let us renew our hope and our commitment to participating as Martha and Mary did and as the Jews did in the story, to participate in the conversation between the Word and the Father. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then he sank to